Hello, and welcome to the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast, where we'll identify and explore ways that we can become the best human beings we can be, compassionate, wise, loving, confident, and courageous. I'm Reverend Dr. Arvid Straubi, your host, and I've been helping people grow spiritually for more than 40 years. I've been a congregational leader, a trained spiritual director, and a meditation coach. I've been a lifelong student of spiritual practices and traditions. Today's episode is called Three Rooms for the Soul. And we're going to identify three important ways that we can cultivate our deepest selves. I kind of like to think of them as three metaphorical, and in some cases, physical rooms. The altar room, the living room, and the sanctuary room. So we're going to talk about spirit, private spiritual practice, group spiritual exploration, and practices that we, places that we go to for worship, ritual, and storytelling. So let's talk about the altar room. This represents private spiritual practices, practices that you do regularly on your own, like meditation or prayer or journaling. It can be a physical uh, like your meditation cushion or chair or the chair where you pray or your yoga mat or your desk where you write in your journal. It should be someplace that's quiet and that's private. So think about having a place like that. Some people find it really cool and useful to have an actual physical altar, a space where you put items that inspire you to continue to develop spiritually. So as an example, I'll give you what's on my altar. I have an icon of Jesus. I have a picture of my parents. The lineage of my ancestors is what they represent. A Native American healer once gave me an owl feather and said that she saw that kind of energy in me, and so that feather means a lot to me. There's a statue of the Buddha, because Buddhist practice, along with other things, has been the core of my spiritual practice. And of those Buddhist teachers, the most important for me has been Thich Nhat Hanh, so there's a picture of him on that altar. And my favorite guy that I put on this altar is a bodhisattva in the tr Tibetan tradition called Manjushri. Uh, he is the bodhisattva of discerning wisdom. So this is a figure with a sword in one hand and a book in the other. It's learning and a sword that cuts through bullshit. And that's important to me somehow. I, I relate to this guy. That's what I try to do in my life is to cut through bullshit. So these are the spiritual practices. This uh, altar room. Uh, that's what that represents is meditation, prayer, journaling, or yoga. But remember, a practice isn't just something you do when you feel like it. To be a practice, it has to be something you do regularly, in a planned way, intentionally. You make it a priority, and then it becomes a habit. Now, most of us think about spiritual practice as just that, the private stuff we do. But 
It can't just be spiritual by ourselves because we human beings are social creatures. We are mammals, which means that we must relate to others. We're wired to relate to others. And not only that, we're higher primates, which means in order to be fully human, in order for our, us to function normally as we're meant to, we need to be part of groups, clans. We can't just be spiritual by ourselves. So we need what I call living room practices, or at least it can be hugely helpful for our spiritual growth. One of the Buddha's disciples asked him, are wise friends and wise conversations half of the spiritual path? And the Buddha said, no. Wise friends and wise conversations are the whole of the spiritual path. Now, the Buddha spent his whole life teaching specific ways to train the mind, ways to act ethically in the world. But the outer form of practice has to do with something that we do with others in community, with wise friends with whom we can have wise conversations. So are there groups like that? You know, many faith communities offer groups like that, study groups, or there can be particular um, curricula that uh, can be done in small groups that can be really helpful here. I'm going to talk more about faith communities later. It's important to know you're in a healthy one. Um, there are spiritual reading groups, Dharma study groups, chanting groups, and if you don't have a group like that, you can start one. Uh, two or three people um, where you can have non-trivial conversations. In the congregation I served, we had what we called wisdom circles where people told me that they were having conversations that were so deep and meaningful that until that point, they hadn't had that with their most intimate partners. It's a place where we can share our deepest struggles. It's a place where we can inspire each other. But of course, you know, that requires that we develop trust. The Quaker theologian Parker Palmer talks about the soul as a shy animal. You know, it needs quiet and time to emerge and the soul can emerge in a group a trusted group so these are some really good ground rules to allow the soul of each person to emerge in a group after some time of trust building first of all don't debate don't correct each other you know only do problem solving or advice if it is explicitly asked. It's better to share your own experiences than your own opinion. And most important, can there be time for each person to do uninterrupted sharing? Questions are often better than opinions or stories. You know, in the Quaker tradition, there is what's called a clearness committee. It's where wise people are gathered by someone who has to make a major life decision. And the, 
the person who has convened the clearness committee talks about what the decision is, what the ramifications are, as long as they need to, and the other people on the clearness committee can only do one thing, to ask open-ended questions. This is a powerful way to make a decision. So we have the altar room. We have the living room where people sit around and see each other and are able to talk about those things that are really important. The third room is a big room. I call it the sanctuary room. It's a place of worship and ritual. So here we're actually talking about a physical space, the church, actually the community within a physical space, a church or a fellowship, a temple, a synagogue, an ashram, a place where we go with other people more than in the small group, where we can be reminded of what our deepest commitments and our deepest values are. I really get it that organized religion has a bad reputation and it is well-deserved. I know that a lot of you have been really harmed by your religious past and an under-recognized reality in our culture is how many people are traumatized by religious abuse. But I invite you to think about the possibility that there can be healthy faith, faith communities. And a healthy faith community has advantages that you might not be able to find anywhere else. You know, your yoga class is not going to give you a casserole when your mother dies. But the, the friends in your congregation or faith community might. These are places where we meet people, where we can have excellent, deep friendships. And the very important factor of having role models, naturally meeting people that you can look up to. It's a place for when you're going through a tough time in your life, you can have comfort and care, pastoral support. Loneliness is a huge epidemic in our culture, and taking a chance with a faith community that you find to be healthy and sticking with it is a great antidote to loneliness. It's where you make connections by volunteering or participating in programs where the loneliness can be eased by relationship and connection. And also... As far as physical health goes, many studies have shown that the health, the health and longevity benefits of participating in religious communities. And these benefits are better even than not, uh, not smoking or having a healthy diet or exercising. So believe me. You know, there are healthy faith communities. They're worth looking for. They're worth a search, a journey. And you should look for one that will accept you for who you are, 
and not judge you right away or say this is a barrier to be included. But they should also encourage you to become the best that you, that you can be through their stories, through their programs. You know, ritual, according to trauma experts, is one of the most important ways that people can heal through trauma. And we human beings make meaning not through logic, but through stories. Find a healthy faith community that's telling a liberating, inspiring, healthy story. And in its rituals, acts out that story. So in your search, so I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. I spent 35 years ministering to Unitarian Universalist congregations. So that might be one of the first places you can look because obviously having dedicated my life to this faith tradition, I think that most of those communities are the kind of communities that I'm talking about, but not all. Labels aren't that important. See for yourself. And if there is rigidity, dogmatism, judgment, us, them thinking, even hate speech, which is going on now in so-called faith communities, if they tell you you're going to go to hell unless you act a certain way or believe a certain way, leave. That's not the community for you. But there are few other places that have the same advantages for your growth and fulfillment as a human being than a healthy faith community. Faith community. This has been the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast with Reverend Dr. Arvid Stravi. Let me respectfully remind you that life and death are of ultimate concern. Time passes swiftly by and opportunity is lost. Wake up. Wake up. Do not squander your precious life. Until next time.